Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was president at the time, in 1933 started a series of uh, speeches that were like many State of the Union messages. Uh, and he called it his uh, fireside chats. And that's what we're going to have tonight is a fireside chat as we talk about situations in this country and God's solution for it. Uh, just to give you a little bit of history, uh, in the 1930s, you know, we had just come out of a, the Great Depression. Things were not good e economically. Uh, during the Depression, there was a lot of people committed suicide because of they lost all these things, these uh, material things and money and stuff like that. And times were tough. But outside of our country, it was... Uh, kind of uh, perilous because Japan was in the process of invading and conquering uh, the Pacific Ocean, all the islands, you know, and uh, just taking over and building uh, uh, air bases and, uh, you know, fortified uh, places. In, pre in preparation, we find out later, to actually attack the United States. Now, on the Pacific, I mean, on the Atlantic side, Hitler was going wild, invading uh, all of Europe. And, uh, you know, one country after another, he was going in and just taking over. And, and uh, Great Britain was the only, well, one of the few that, uh, that didn't succumb to it. They, they fought. Uh, there was a couple other countries, I think, uh, Switzerland and uh, 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 well, one of the Scandinavian countries uh, were uh, neutral, and I don't know how they did that. You know how Germany didn't just come in there anyway. But but in, in uh, the Great Britain, uh, Winston Churchill was the prime minister at the time, and uh, he kept you know uh, talking to uh, President Roosevelt about you know we need help. You know, come on, help us. Uh, you know, defeat the the Nazis. Uh, but the president balked on it. He didn't want to get involved in, in the war. But there, was, there were really perilous times. So what he did is he formed these uh, little things on the radio. There was no television back there. And he'd have these chats to, you know, to tell what was going on in the world and what was going on in the United States and, and trying to comfort them by saying, you know, we're not going to get into the war and everything. Well... <laughs> As we all know, in December 7th, 1941, uh, Japan invaded uh, Hawaii. And uh, that brought us into the war on both sides. And for the next, uh, well, pretty close to four years, we were at war. And things were terrible. Uh, I mean, we, we had uh, young men you know, and uh, getting killed on the Pacific uh, place and on the Atlantic place. And I remember as a kid, you know, during the war, uh, seeing these military uh, vehicles pulling up to houses on the block I lived in in Brooklyn at the time. And a chaplain and an officer would get out and go to a, to a, a house, knock on the door, and stay in there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 
and then come out and leave. And every time they did that, we, we would look, and there was this little uh, flag-like thing for, that the, the government, the military was giving out to the families of lost, uh, uh, lost uh, sons or you know, husbands. And even as kids, you know, we understood what was going on, and, and everything was devastating. But, you know, while this was all going on in the 30s and in the 40s, and, and, and it actually, you know, even after the war, this sort of uh, atmosphere continued in our country. Uh, while, it was, while this was going on, uh, on Sundays, I remember this very clearly, there was no stores open. And then eventually, they started opening some stores, but it was after, like 1 o'clock in the afternoon because they wanted to make sure that nothing interfered with church. And during that time, people went to church, you know, uh, Saturday, uh, the, uh, the Jewish people went to their synagogues. Uh, on Sundays, uh, the Catholics, uh, you know, met in, in, in their uh, churches the, and the so-called Protestant religions, you know, which covers uh, many, all the churches were, were, were filled. Everybody was going to church. Now, I think part of that was because of the situation that was going on in the world and in the country, you know, coming out of the Great Depression. But, but you know, that had, was, had been a, a way of life back then in this country. As we know, this country was founded on the word of God, you know, on Christian the people trying to get out of uh, suppression in, in Europe and coming here so they could worship in freedom. So that was a, a thing that everybody did. Nobody was bashing anybody for, you know, going to church. It was just accepted. Uh, and, and that continued on even into my teen years and uh, into the 50s. and. Uh, people went to church. And, uh, you know, I, I look back on that. And, and even though things were, were so uh, perilous going on around us, we had a certain amount of peace because we went to church. And even the, you know, uh, I don't know exactly when this started, but there was a saying back there when the war was going on that there was no atheists in the foxholes. You know? In times like that, back then, people turned to God. Uh, now, I can't say one way or another if these, all these people that went to church were born-again Christians you know, or had accepted Jesus as Lord. I have no way of knowing that. But the fact is that it was a way of life. And the reason I'm saying this is leading up to you know, the passage we're going to look at uh, today. Is, is today. I don't have to tell you what's going on today. We all know this. Christians are being bashed. They're being looked down on. We're being told that we're stupid. We don't know what we're doing. You know, we're, we're, we've got our hope raised uh, for a God that doesn't exist or is dead or whatever. And, and that's what's going on here. And, and going back again to the, to the 30s and 40s, you know, there was no TV, as I said before, but there was movies. And, you know, the movies back then were family-friendly. 
you didn't see any sex scenes. You didn't see a, a lot of violence. You didn't see uh, a lot of uh, you know, foul language. Uh, things back then, even though there was a lot of people that you know, didn't care too much about Jesus or God, the laws sort of suppressed them from doing things that they do today in the movies. So it, it wasn't bad to go to a movie back then. Nowadays, my goodness, uh, I don't know if there is any good movies, <laughs> to be honest with you. I don't go to movies, so I wouldn't know, but I imagine there's some good ones now and then. But uh, you know, you know, things in the world today uh, are just so anti-God, anti-Jesus, uh, that uh, we need to do something, you know, as Christians. We have to do something more than what we're doing. And God tells us how to do that. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is, is, you know, how do we get above all the sin and decadence that's going on in our country and in the world? Uh, you, know, it, you know, back then, uh, I don't know, even in schools, you know, I, I can remember every morning, saying the Pledge of Allegiance. The principal would get on the intercom and, and pray all through high school, when I was in high school even. They did this, and it was an accepted thing. In fact, not just accepted, uh, it was something they did because they wanted to do it. Uh, and I think what's happened now, I call it the numbing of America. We are numb to what's going on. And that's the work of the devil. Because he's using different things very subtly to make things seem like it's okay to do this. You know, we know what sin is. I mean, sin is, you know, really very blunt in the Bible. We know what, you know, sin is. But, you know, there are sins of things that may not be sinful in and of itself because of priorities. When we take certain things and make it a priority that's greater than our, our time with, uh, with God or our worship of God, that, that can become an idol in and of itself. And idolatry, as we know, is sinful. And uh, that's what we're doing now. We're... we're we're at a point where we have to make determination of where, where should I put my priorities? And what I'd like to do uh, now is uh, let's open our Bibles, uh, if you have them, uh, to Second uh, to Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read the... <clears throat> Uh, the first of four uh, verses here, and then I'm going to stop for a minute. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. Now, right there, he's telling us we can be above all this sin and all of these things that, even if they're not sinful in of itself, that can, you know, push us away a little bit uh, with our, our Christian fellowship and our study of the word and our worship of Jesus. So we have to be very careful. We have to be able to understand what things in our life may be doing that. We're all susceptible to that. Uh, you know, there's none of us here that can say, oh, I'm immune to that. You know, my faith is so strong. You know, that's great if we have a strong faith. That's what God wants. But we can always ask every day for God to increase our faith. Because the more faith we have, the more we're going to be worshiping and doing for God instead of doing for ourselves and, and, and things like that. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be involved. He doesn't want us just to accept Jesus as Savior and then sit back in this rocking chair for the rest of your life and wait for him to come. No, he wants us to work. Uh, and that's what I'm going to say right now. I'm going to just read a, a, a portion of uh, what uh, Paul wrote in Philippians 2, uh, verse 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we've all heard that many, many times. And unfortunately, even today, there's a lot of people that don't understand that. A lot of people think that that means, oh, we, we have to work to get our salvation, and we have to work to make sure we get into heaven. No, that's not right. Our salvation comes through grace, through, by faith, through Jesus Christ and his you know, sacrifice on the cross. We all know that. We've heard that many times. But we can always use some uh, you know, re you know, repeat of it because we need to know. Uh, but what, what he's saying here is we do have to work it out. And that, that means works. And I'm going to read now the rest of, well, not the rest, but some more of this uh, chapter. And uh, let's see uh, what it means. I think Peter does an excellent job through the Holy Spirit leading him on this uh, of what working out our salvation is all about. And verse 5, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, all right, let's talk about diligence for a while. What is diligence in our faith? Well, you know, our, our, our diligence, you know, our virtue, trustworthiness, it's doing what is right in everything we do. Uh, we're supposed to do things at a high level, not just enough to get by, uh, 
not just enough to, you know, well, you know, I did my duty for the week. I don't have to do anything more. No, this is true diligence, virtue. Don't we all want to be a person of virtue? I mean, what's the opposite of virtue? <laughs> Sin? Yeah, or maybe worse, if there is anything worse. And then he continues on here. You know, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral ex- excellence. Now, you might think that, you know, he's only speaking now, but, you know, a lot of times when you talk about morality and everything, uh, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is sexual, you know, pro, uh, you know promiscuous and, and things like that. But excellence, morals. What is morals? It's really a wide open area. It's telling the truth. Don't lie. It's not cheating. Cheating at your work, cheating in school. It covers a whole vast category of of what morality is. Uh, How you treat people. Do you speak against people? Do you gossip? Do you spread rumors? That's a lack of morality. And, and what is he, you know, he's saying here about moral excellence. He, he, he's saying, do things right at the highest level. When you do something, do it at the highest level. Don't do it just good enough to get by, do enough to satisfy people. Do it at the highest level, and that's what pleases God. And then he continues, because all these things build, they're all together, and they build upon each other. And, you know, I don't know how many times I've read this and studied this, and every time I do, I get something new from it, because <laughs> I don't know if I'm just uh, kind of thick in the head or something, but, but God reveals these things, new things to me every time I read it. And, and I just rejoice in that. Now, after, you know, moral excellence, he says, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. Now, knowledge is something that we all desire, I hope. And of course, you know, knowledge only comes from the Word of God. But we're ta- he's talking a little bit different type of knowledge here. Certainly, he's including uh, godly uh, knowledge. But he's talking about practical knowledge, things that we, we should know about living our life in this world. And, and that, you know, that includes a lot of things. You know, uh, we should have a clear perception of truth, absolute truth. And, uh, and when we deal with people, don't be phonies. Be what you are but do it in kindness, you know, knowledge, how to, how to live our life, how to deal with people, how to deal with our work, with our boss, with those that work for us, uh, how to deal, uh, with, uh, the, the waiter or waitress in a restaurant, uh, or, you know, cashiers in stores, you know, are we rude? Are we short? You know, as Christians, when we deal with these people, they should see something in us that makes them smile. Or when we leave, 
they can feel it. I wish all our customers were like that, you know? And, and that's what he's talking about here, that kind of knowledge that we, we can realize how to act, how to do things. Uh, when we do that, God is really, really pleased with what we're doing. And he's going to bless us for that. But Peter doesn't stop there. <laughs> he says, uh, and in your knowledge, uh-oh, self-control. Now, that's a biggie. Self-control or temperance, it might say in some of your Bibles. But what is self-control? Now, we rely on, 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 on Jesus to help us with that naturally. It can only come through the Holy Spirit. But as Christians, God has given us the ability to have self-control. And it's not just with controlling your anger. I mean, uh, we should never get angry. The Bible says it many, many times. You know, especially don't, let, don't uh, let the sun go down on your anger. You know, we're not to get anger. We're supposed to deal with things that happen. God gives us that ability to deal with whatever, whatever you know, goes on in our life. Sometimes things happen in our life that we don't like, that are, that are bad. Sometimes it's our fault that we brought it on. Sometimes it's not. It's just uh, things that occur. But, you know, when we're faithful, God gives us the ability not only to get through it, but he strengthens us with it too. So we have to learn how to control ourselves, control our choices, you know, the choices that we make in things, whether it's, uh, you know, cars, houses, uh, uh, relationships, whatever. we have to learn how to control our choices. And, and there's many more things that, you know, we need to control that because uh, things just happen. So learn control yourself. It's, it's, you know, God's going to help us. If we have that desire to have self-control, God's going to grant it because he wants us to be that way. And then he continues on here and says, and in your self-control, perseverance. Perseverance. Hmm. Another word is maybe patience. Are we patient? Do we, do we wait on the Lord to guide us? Or do we go ahead first and whatever comes into our head and do it? I have to admit, I've been guilty for that uh, in the past many, many times. As I get older, I'm more in tune to God's punishment (laughs) for when I do something wrong. Uh, But, you know, and the perseverance, to to persevere, to keep keep on going in the things that are right. Don't give up. If things, you know, if you're trying to do the right thing and, Things don't uh, go right. Keep going. Keep praying. Don't give up. God doesn't want us to be a a bunch of people that just throw our hands up and say, I can't do it. No, God wants us to be doers. He's going to allow us to get through, and he's going to give us the ability to do it. And now we continue. He says, and in your perseverance, Godliness. Now, you know, uh, the whole the whole 
gospel, the whole entire Bible is about godliness, living our lives in a godly manner. And, and, and just exactly what is godliness? We can't be like God is. I mean, we don't even know, you know, everything about God, only what he reveals to us. But we do know what Jesus was like and is like. And that's our goal, is to be like Jesus. To be everything that Jesus was. And you know what? We can't do that in our own strength. But because of the Holy Spirit that is in, in our soul, because of our confession of, uh, uh, of our sins and our asking Jesus to be Lord in our life. Lord, do what you want, Lord, whatever you want. That's, that's what Lord is. Not just when it's convenient, but all the time. Godliness. Is that the same as righteousness? I think so. We're supposed to be righteous. And again, we, you know, uh, we can't make ourselves holy. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But God can. In God's eyes, when we accept Jesus uh, as our Lord, in his eyes, we're, we're holy. We're saints. Now, we won't realize that ourselves when we're in, ushered into his presence. But it's our, it's our goal, it should be our goal, to live a righteous life, a godly life, that people can see in us something that they desire by kindness and things like that. Then he continues on here. And he says, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Now, this might be one that many of us fall short of more than ever. Uh, you know, uh, the, the city in Pennsylvania called Philadelphia is also known as the city of brotherly love. That's in the Greek, phileo love. And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, brotherly kind, how do we treat our brothers and sisters? You know? Do we really have genuine love? Now, I'm going to say, you've heard me, if you know me, you've heard me say this many, many times. I honestly believe that this is one of the most loving churches that I've ever been involved in. And we ought to praise God every day for that. I see genuine love among people in this church. But, you know, I think we all need reminders that God wants us to do this. He wants us to love on one another. And in brotherly love, you know, <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I'm a retired police officer uh, from New York. Uh, I'm not bragging by this, but I was a pretty tough guy when I was young, <laughs> many years ago. And to hug a man was a no-no. There's no way in the world that I was going to hug a man. But, you know, when God got a hold of me, he, he, he made me understand that there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a blessing 
when two men that love the Lord can hug each other and say, brother, I love you. But you know, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to have that love among one another, one another. And, uh, and he gives us the ability to do that. And, and that's what's so wonderful about, you know, not just the only thing, but one of the things that's so wonderful about our God. He wants us to live in peace and harmony. And he gives us that ability. And then the last thing he lists here is love. <laughs> he says, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Love is one of the most important things that God wants us to be a part of. Faith, hope, and love. And of these, what is the most important? Love. Absolutely. You know, we, we need to get to the point that even when a brother or a sister do something, say something that upsets us, makes us angry, or whatever, that we have to be forgiven. We have to be able to forgive. And you know something, too? If it doesn't happen right away, I think the person that feels that they are the victim should go to the other person that committed whatever it was and apologize for, for what had happened. Not saying, you know, if you apologize, I will, or I'll accept it. No, let's reconcile. You did something terrible to me, or you, you, you did something mean to me. Let's put it in the past. I love you. And I bet you if you do that, the response is going to be wonderful. Don't be proud. Be humble. Don't, don't let your pride say, well, I'm not, I didn't do anything wrong. You know, I'm not going to you know, go to them and ask forgiveness or anything. Hey, let's do it. If, that, if it's not received, that individual's got to deal with God, and God will deal with them. But you've done something that God's going to praise you for. You know? And he's going, to, he's going to bless you for it. But I'm confident that you do that. There's going to be reconciliation. That's what we're supposed to do. Love on one another. And, 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 and it's the kind of love, we can't do this in our own strength, in our own being. That kind of love only comes through the Holy Spirit. Agape love is the Greek term for it. And uh, that can only come through God. Only God can give that kind of love. We don't have the ability as human beings to generate that kind of love, even for our spouses, even for our children. So that, I believe, shows us how we work out our salvation. If we can do all these things or, or you know, set our, our, our sights on, on, on being obedient to all these things that, uh, that God told uh, Peter to write, I believe that's working out our salvation. You know, and, and then, he, you know, in the book again, he, he considers here, and starting in verse 8, 
For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't that say it right there? That's worked out our salvation? I mean, that is potent. Then he says here in verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Man, so if we're not doing that, look what he's saying. We're not going to be blessed if, if that's what you know, our lifestyle is like. But we are going to be blessed when we adopt these things and work at doing them and letting them be a, a natural part of our life. And he says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What a promise that is. All we have to be is faithful to to him in doing these things and and letting these things uh, control our life. We're not going to stumble. Man, I don't want to fall. You know? Who knows what we'd have to go through when, if we turn our back even for a short time on God. Let us always be in, in, in a worshipful attitude, no matter where we are, what we're doing. If we're at work, certainly we're going to pay attention to what we're doing. I mean, that's what God expects us to do. But in doing that, we can still have an attitude of worship. In school, shopping, in fellowship with one another in fellowship or attempted fellowship with non-believers. You know, it's evident in a person's life when he lives a righteous life without stumbling. And God will allow us not to stumble, as it says here. So continuing here, it says, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Just another confirmation of God's promise to us that when Jesus Christ is Lord in our life and we're living in obedience to him, we don't have to worry about whether or not we're going to be in heaven. We are one day going to be in the presence of our Lord and Master. And boy, we're not going to have to worry about a thing. We're just going to be rejoicing and praising the rest of eternity. And I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but it sure sounds good to me. I'm looking forward to it. I hope and pray that Jesus comes really soon. But I like this too, uh, this next verse. And it says, Therefore, because of all these things he's just written, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. And you know something? That's what our pastors do every time they appear in the pulpit, 
They're giving us reminders of things we know. But they're also teaching us things that we may have missed in our reading, reading or studying. And that's what God put on my heart tonight, is just to be a reminder. Because I'm sure that many of you sitting here, if not all of you, have read and know all of this as, you know, as well as I do. But I felt led by God to give you this reminder of these things because I think it's the essence of living a righteous, holy life. Because, uh, you know, we are holy because God made us holy. And God told us to be holy. And we can't do that, so what's the positive answer? He did it for us. So, I don't know if, I, if my time is up or not, but what I, the only thing I'd like to add on this, again, is to, to read this over again, you know, during the week. Understand what he's talking about, and then apply it to the way you live your life. I'm talking to myself, too. I'm not sitting up here, you know, thinking that I'm, you know, any better than anybody else. I'm certainly not. I'm just very thankful that, uh, you know, God has used me in certain ways to, to bring the gospel to people. And uh, as long as he calls on me, I'm going to continue to do it. I'm going to remind people, you know. God made me a reminder. 28 years ago. You know what? Each one of you that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're all reminders. You're all reminders. Always take the opportunity to remind our brothers and sisters of the truth of the gospel. I don't know what time it is, if I'm too early or what, but that's all the Lord put on my heart, and uh, I just want to, you know, I just want to close in prayer. Father, again, I just pray that uh, we will all be able to understand the truth of your word, that we might want to apply it to the way we live our lives. We pray, Father, that you'll Help us to make wise decisions in what we do in life. Help us to uh, stay away from temptation. Help us, Father, to be the kind of a person that's not ashamed to share our salvation with others. Give us the boldness. Give us the strength to do that in our community, in our workplace, in our school. Because, Father, we know that you are with us and you'll never forsake us. And we just praise you for that. So as about, we're about to go our ways to our homes tonight, pray for a safe trip there and that you will continue to instill in us the desire to serve you. Increase our faith, Father, that we might not wander away even for a short time. We love you, Father. We want to praise you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.